the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Greg Mackling, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Derek Taylor joining us on the Blue Bomber podcast, as well as the host of the 680 CJOB Sports Show and an optimal, critical contributor to Blue Bomber coverage, Blue Bomber game days, pregame, halftime, in between, before, all around, Christian O'Mell. Uh, Christian, thanks for taking time to uh, join us today. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to finally get the invite. Uh, see, Derek, I knew he was sitting by his mailbox waiting for snail mail. And then I thought, you know what? Perhaps we should invite him digitally, like the new fangled way for the kid. Well, it's just one of the, the truisms of Winnipeg Radio is when Greg Mackling talks, everybody listens, right? When, when you throw out the invite, people can't wait to accept. I wish that were true, DT. Uh, I know you have way better facts than that for us today. So let's move on uh, from from that uh, most likely falsehood to uh, something that's undeniable. Friday night, IG Field, Toronto Argonauts, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Their first meeting since the Grey Cup. We've spoken at length how much of a travesty that is based on CFL scheduling. We'll move on from that at least for the time being. This is a, a massive game in terms of these two teams measure measuring themselves against one another, if nothing else, DT. I, I would think there's, I mean, mo- probably more for fans than for the players. But uh, like, if you're Toronto, you probably want to keep stuff hidden because you're already clinched. You're not your number one berth in the into the playoffs. But uh, I think for us as fans to go, okay, well, well, what does our team look like against you know a real team? Bomber fans go, okay, well, we lost one to BC and we clobbered BC, and there's a third meeting coming. Uh, but all these other teams kind of will have their issues and problems and they don't really look like they're going to be trouble in the playoffs but toronto 12 and 1 and oh my gosh okay well how good are we really have we been have we have we been under underestimated by you know the league have we been overestimated where are we really i think for i think for fans uh, of both teams i think it's probably the the biggest impact in this one of like okay well well who are we really if, as if we could determine that in 60 minutes christian it feels as though perhaps the Toronto Argonauts have captured some attention in the Toronto, uh, maybe super saturated sports marketplace. I know it wasn't a sold out crowd by any measure, but there was an atmosphere last week at BMO, at least it seemed to be on uh, television. Are the Argonauts a the real deal? And B, are people uh, excited outside of uh, Winnipeg about this game? I think the well, the answer to A is the the Argos are for real. I think that's that's for sure. I think we've seen over the the large enough sample size of this season that Chad Kelly is a pretty solid quarterback. He's got some weapons, and sure, the East is pretty bad, and they've been beating up on the East pretty good. But I don't think you can argue that the Argonauts are are some kind of fraud, right? I think they are legitimate, and if they play the Bombers ten times, you know, one team might win six, but which team is it? I'm not sure. As for do other people care about this game, I the bar is so low, I think, in Toronto for 
for us looking into Toronto and thinking, oh, look, there's it's not sold out, but there's an atmosphere. Like that's the bar we have for Toronto as opposed to Winnipeg, where we're it's sold out for the third time this season, and they're just the the energy in the city is just so different. And you look at the Blue Jays; they're probably going to make the playoffs, and then Maple Leaf season starts, and then Raptor season starts. Though the Raptors aren't probably going to be any good this year, and then next thing you know. You know, if the Great Cup is here in, in mid-November in Hamilton, do, do people in Toronto care? Because it's they they could make that trip. It's real close compared to last year. But if you know, if the Leafs are, I don't know. I haven't looked at the NHL schedule. The Leafs are playing that day. Then people aren't going to care. But I I think people are curious across the country to see this game. It is a Great Cup rematch. But I also think that a lot of people just don't care about the Argos. I don't think it, they move the needle nationally nearly as much as the Bombers and Riders do, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, that's unfortunate, Derek Taylor, because uh, this is, you know, potentially uh, a Grey Cup preview. It's obviously a Grey Cup rematch, but, you know, a BC Lions, I guess, are back in this conversation for the last several weeks. We thought it was, you know, Winnipeg, Toronto, and everyone else. Is it again Winnipeg, Toronto, and BC in terms of the echelons of teams in the CFL? I think you have to consider it that because, I mean, BC is tied with Winnipeg, right, in, in the standings. And the winner of next week's game is probably going to finish first in the West. So I think you have to, despite the fact that Man, BC's had some shady results uh, the, in the last few weeks. Just some really you beat the Elks by eight, and you almost lost to the Red Blacks. Yee, and you, you, I mean, Montreal went went kind of toe to toe with you, and oh, before that, you lost to the Tiger Cats. It's been a rough, I guess, five weeks with a buy in there for for the Lions. But I think just record wise, you have you have to consider that you know if they win October sixth in Vancouver, they are maybe gonna be the number one one seed that's that's something you can't ignore so there are lots of obvious places we could take this conversation and setting up the game and of course we'll we'll do that for two hours leading up to the game at seven o'clock on friday night beginning at five on your radio home of the blue bombers 680 cjob but i suspect these abnormalities that that you and i were discussing before i hit record Derek taylor are going to be something that you talk about Friday and maybe even leading up to it. Spill the beans right now. And that has to do with the number of ways, the different ways, and the large number of touchdowns the Winnipeg Blue Bombers offense and special teams have given up. (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird. So Winnipeg is the highest scoring offense on a per game basis and then the lowest points allowed defense uh, on a per game basis. And it went, Okay, well, that's interesting, but Toronto overall has has more points. Okay, well, that's interesting. So I looked into that, and you go, well, Toronto has four touchdowns by its defense and four on on uh, returns from Javon Leak, who is crushing it this year. Not, okay, well, well, how many has Winnipeg had? Okay, well, two. Well, how many have they allowed? That was where I started to go. How many touchdowns have the Winnipeg defense and special teams allowed? Because I thought, well, the, the return has been... And one of the things that we've been talking about with the Bombers, the return game against them. Ooh, they can't cover anybody. But they've not allowed a return touchdown, just the blocked punt that Jamison Sheehan had in the end zone that was uh, that was scored for a touchdown. Apart from that, but I went, wait a minute. Okay, they've allowed seven touchdowns on their offense and special teams. Seven. Two fumbles and four interception. Four pick sixes plus two fumble sixes. The offense, while it has scored... 
49 touchdowns for the Bombers. It's actually allowed six of its own, which I that just seemed incredibly high to me because your, your offense is supposed to score points, not ship 42 in the other direction, but that's the, this year's Bombers team. Well, when I consider the number of points scored and the number of points against, you know, I knew it was an... <laughs> A high number that the Blue Bomber defense was not responsible for. I didn't realize that number ends up being seven times six, 42 points that the Blue Bomber defense yeah. are not responsible for. So at the very most, the Winnipeg Blue Bomber defense have given up 250 points through 14 games. And you can say what you want about what happened in in, in Hamilton uh, two Saturdays ago. Uh, that's a good defense, and I think that highlights it even more. Well, yeah, the CFL breaks it all down, and opponent offensive touchdowns, uh, Winnipeg has allowed 20. That's the best in the league by a good margin. It's actually eight fewer than Toronto has allowed. And sure, Toronto's played one less one less game, but, I mean, they've only allowed 20 touchdowns through their defense. <laughs> their offense has added six more. It just, it's just so weird, and it, it just kind of, you know, why are the Bombers ten and four and not twelve and two like last year? Well, a couple of pick sixes here, and a fumble six here, and another fumble six here, and a late pick six against uh, Ottawa. And you go, oh, okay, well, those weird bounces that the that the Bombers didn't have against them last year, they are certainly having against them. Uh, this season. So I, I just kind of was thinking forward to what'll be the three keys to the game that I do with, with Ed Tate every game. And I go, okay, well, the offense has to, I mean, if you turn the ball over against the Argos, you have the potential to get punished. So taking care of the ball, I, I don't know if it'll be more important at any point this season, non-playoff edition than it will be on Friday. Christian DT mentioning the, the fact that, you know, some goofy wins for BC. So you pair a goofy win against Ottawa with a goofy loss for Winnipeg against Ottawa. And that's now all of a sudden the difference in the standings again that we're talking about, which makes next Friday in Vancouver relevant versus making it potentially irrelevant. It just goes to show the margins are are thin, unusual, and uh, unpredictable in the Canadian Football League. For sure. But even if BC lost that Ottawa game, next week's game would be a re- it would be relevant because if they were to beat Winnipeg, then they're tied. And they'd well, have if the Bombers had so. held on and beat Ottawa seven or eight weeks if, ago. If, 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 okay, if, well, I'm, ta- I'm saying if those I two know. games had gone the way they were supposed to go, <laughs> Christian, if you heard the entire premise of my point, you, 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 you'd have no choice but to agree with me. Of course. Sorry, Greg. You're the host. I, I need to acquiesce. Yes. No, no uh, need to the, acquiesce. <laughs> I mean, that's that's football, though. You could go through every every season. And, well, I mean, look at Ottawa, right? They're four and ten and, you know, four of their losses should be wins and three of their wins should be losses. And that's football, right? But for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers now at ten and four, I'm really looking at this week's game against Toronto. If they lose now, they're probably behind BC in the standings. Sure. And, sure they are. Yeah. Yeah, you win and you get the tiebreaker, and then you're tied again. But there's no margin for error. And for for the Bombers going into this game against Toronto, I'm, the thing I'm most curious about is does Toronto care about this game because they have everything locked up? I like what Derek said about not not showing too much in case they play again in the Grey Cup. The Bombers need this game so much more than Toronto does. But if you're the Argos, you don't want to just lay down and lose by 30. 
So I, I don't know how much is it pride, how much is it like this is the last game, real good game against a good team that they're going to play till the playoffs. I, I'm really curious to see about that. But for the Blue Bombers, I mean, maybe it's better that Toronto has nothing to play for. DT, pick up on that. I would, I would think it sure doesn't hurt, right? Because I don't know if there's any playbook for how Toronto should be approaching these final six games of the season, right? They've, they've got their playoff spot locked up. They, they sat out uh, AJ Olette last week. They healthy scratched him. They're starting running back and borderline star running back. They just sat him out six games from the end of the season, uh, presumably to, to give him some rest. I, I, I don't know. Maybe those Montreal teams earlier in, in the century had this dilemma but what do you what do you do with six games where the results don't matter in the standings and and how do you approach that for it so we're kind of making this up as we go along uh, i i just think if if i'm toronto and i, I go well, it'd be nice to you know go toe-to-toe and see what we're what we're made of the next time we play these guys if at all we'll be back in the gray cup and i want to have some surprises against them i want them to you know, they'll be able to see obviously what we put what we put on film the other seventeen games that we play, but I don't want them to see it in person. I don't want them to get their their sense of okay, well, this much space between this guy and that guy, this stack of receivers means this. I don't want any of that because the next time that if it, if it happens again, the stakes will be the highest they can possibly be. So I'm I'm just so curious with how Toronto will approach that. I I wouldn't do it like preseason of. Okay, it's uh, it's only zone run right and zone run left, and that's all we're doing today. And we're only running four verticals uh, twice, and we're not showing them anything else. I I don't know if you go that far because I mean the league would probably want this to be, you know, the forty-two forty that it could be. But if I'm Toronto, everything is about you know November nineteenth, and I. I, I won't. I won't say out loud that I don't care about uh, you know week seventeen in Winnipeg, but in my heart, I'll, I'll know that mm, I'm gonna want to keep this one a little lower than I might normally. Well, Wade Miller may not want uh, Blue Bomber fans to listen to this last three minutes of this podcast because you've got almost thirty three thousand people coming out to IG Field on Friday night that are going to be expecting a showdown between the two top teams in the league, and one may give a garbage crap. Kyle Milroy, help me out here uh, with, a, with, a, with a beep, uh, and, and the other team may not. So uh, that's an interesting part of this discussion. We'll, we'll, we'll shelve it for now, and I want to ask about Willie Jefferson. I know you wanted to talk about Willie J last week, DT, and we just didn't get around to it. Um, is there concern about his lack of production over the last several weeks? I would have to think so. It's it's unusual, right? Like, once again, no sack. And is that now seven games in a row with, without a sack that uh, Willie's gone? And you go, okay, well, he's knocked down a pass or two along the way, and he's getting a couple of tackles. But the thing that, I mean... Matthew Betts is having the same thing in BC. That that early season hot start is is gone, and there hasn't been uh, on the bomber side a ton to replace it. So whether the concern is okay, well, well, Willie's what's happened to Willie, or it's more of well, what's happened to this defense and its vicious pass rush? Uh, I'm not sure which one of those is is the way to to focus on it and, and is as the correct answer, but. It certainly stands out that, oh, wait a minute. Uh, I mean, Willie had two hands on Taylor Powell the last time we saw him, and 
that wasn't a sack. And that reminded me that he hadn't had a sack in quite some time. And it's it's unusual for a guy who who has so many ways to impact the game to uh, to not have as ma- nearly as many impact plays these last, say, seven games as he had the previous seven games. Christian, um, we've made a lot of what Jackson Jeffcoat does, the difference he makes in terms of the play of Willie Jefferson. At least that's our interpretation. That's our thought that uh, the inclusion of 94 makes five better. Uh, 94 uh, missed last week, but he's been in the lineup otherwise. Uh, does that uh, dissolve, make that theory disappear altogether, or is there something else at play? I'm a big believer that if Jackson Jeffcoat's in, he lifts all boats. I, I think he makes Willie Jefferson better because he's just someone you have to worry about as well. On the other side, I think we, we've we seen it anecdotally at the very least, and I, I, I don't know if the stats back it up, but it just seems like when he is out there, that pass rush is different. And not not just Willie Jefferson, but other people as well. Cameron Lawson getting involved. We saw Solis and Haba come back last week and play for uh, Jeff Coat and get a sack, but ultimately the pe- pass rush wasn't enough against Hamilton. And you see Jake Thomas, whoever it is, Teatric Hansen is coming back soon. So they're if they're fully healthy and Jeff Coat's a big part of that, then this pass rush is going to be a problem. But when he's he's the missing link, they're just not as good. We've seen it last year. We saw it when he missed more time than this year. And I, I think that if he is back, if he is healthy enough in the playoffs, which is where you really need him, then this pass rush you'd expect to be different. And whether Jefferson gets a sack or not, that doesn't mean he's not a factor. He can still be making the quarterback's life miserable, forcing the quarterback to go to the other side, and Jeffcoat's waiting for him, that kind of thing. But I, I definitely think as Jeffcoat goes, I think this pass rush goes. Blue Bombers have brought in a, another a defensive lineman and added, uh, is it uh, Kuani Deng? I, I, would go, I haven't uh, met him yet, but I'd go, I'd go Coney. Yeah. Okay. Six foot five, not a small individual uh, coming out of uh, California. So, you know, they don't have to admit anything to us, but I would say that that's evidence that there's a recognition that perhaps something else you've been talking about with regard to that defensive line is at play here. And that's the lack of, of people to uh, rotate in and out of that lineup. And, and perhaps it's taking its toll physically on, on some of the blue bombers, best players. Yeah, for sure. That's now three defensive ends that they have on the practice roster right now. And uh, that's carrying, I mean, Jackson was on the injured list. So four carried three in the game, seven. They're, they're definitely looking at their, at their options. They use uh, Damian Jackson there. So uh, eight potentially guys to have in there and how, how much, you know, which guys are brought in to focus on special teams, potentially which guys are brought in because they believe their pass rushers is something the coaches will, will work on. But yeah, it's, it's a thing. I was just, uh, while, uh, while Christian was talking, I, I was just looking first seven games, 25 sacks from the bombers last seven games, 15 sacks from the bombers. And you go, hmm, okay, well, that's, that's why they're not tops in the league in that stat. And it's just, it's it's unusual. Um, I mean, the results aren't certainly aren't terrible, right? With with ten wins and like we talked about, the fewest points allowed by the defense on a per game basis. But it's it just it just got to be there, and it's I think it's one of the frustrations for fans has been 
okay, well, if we're, if we're not getting this pressure, we're not getting these sacks, and Willie's not able to, you know, Willie hasn't got a sack in seven games, why aren't we using these other bodies in rotation on the defensive line? Why are we carrying uh, Damian Jackson as an American fullback who sort of rushes the passer, whatever it is, six times a game? Why aren't we using more bodies, you know, to, to get after the quarterback? When other teams are carrying eight defensive linemen, uh, the Bombers are trying to get away with with six and there there's no effect on the quarterbacks it's there's there's uh, obviously a million things that go into these decisions but uh, it's it's one i think that's causing frustration especially after games like the hamilton one where taylor powell uh looked really good and and really unaffected by the pressure the bombers were able to create uh christian is this where uh theodric hansen comes in the, the bombers i think are missing him and and his impact because he was a guy that they could put in, rotate in and out, and and he could uh, really make a difference from time to time. Yeah, I think one of the strengths of this team over the last few years in this great golden era of the of the Bombers has been their defensive line depth, where they've been able to bring in guys, and that's how Casey Sales ends up getting a big contract in Hamilton. That's how Steve Richardson ends up getting a big contract in BC, and unfortunately he's been hurt, but these guys that they've been able to secure and bring in and rotate. And I, I think Cameron Lawson kind of fits that mold right now. Uh, Ricky Walker in there too, but they'd love to have more. And Teodrick Hansen was a big part of that last year uh, up until he tore his Achilles in September. So to have him back is another body that you trust. Uh, it was, he going to be the Teodrick Hansen we know right away. We'll see when he actually gets in the lineup, but uh, just to have another body in there to help them absolutely can't hurt because having that pass rush be fresh is something that has been a big asset for this team over the last few years. Argos uh, coming in, as we mentioned, 11 and one looking, looking pretty good. Chad Kelly. I get the hype to a certain extent. I'm a little bit of a fan, but I also at times just like, really? Like, I just, I guess I'm still not sold on the guy. Should I be sold on him, Christian? Well, I have a couple, couple ways of looking at it. One, the bar of quarterback excellence in this league is very low right now. I think after Zach Kolaris and Chad Kelly, you got Vernon Adams, who can be good sometimes, but then he has a game where he throws six interceptions. And then and then what, right? There's There's not a lot else out there. But Chad Kelly helped his team win a great cup last year. He came in in relief and made some plays. He's good with on his feet. But Derek on my show last week said something that I, I really kind of stuck with me. Is he the most outstanding player or is he the, a good player on the most outstanding team? Because Toronto right now, the way they've been winning hasn't necessarily been all the quarterback play. They have an incredible defense that turns the ball over at a remarkable rate. And they've had the best special teams unit in the CFL. But that's not to say Kelly, Kelly hasn't been good, right? He's been able to, the deep ball that he's been able to connect on over and over and over again has been really successful for this team. I think it's no doubt he's going to be the East uh, most outstanding player. I think, I, I don't know what the odds are right now, but I would probably guess it's going to be him to be MOP unless over the next six weeks, they don't really do much, right? It's possible that maybe he only plays three of the next six games and maybe Kolaris then puts up such huge stats because he's going to be playing more because Winnipeg's going to need those wins. But Derek's also made the point before, too, about voter fatigue. 
Kolaris just keeps winning it. That, that We've seen it in every league. When someone wins a couple times, there's a natural tendency to look for something else, to see what else is out there, what is the new narrative. And the narrative this year is Chad Kelly has burst onto the scene and he's leading this Grey Cup team to hope trying to get a back-to-back title. And it's his first full season in the CFL, and look what he's doing. And they keep winning, and he keeps throwing touchdowns, and he keeps rushing for touchdowns. And he's been very good, but I understand the trepidation at the same time. Derek, I think a couple of podcasts ago, I tried to make the point that, uh, you know, if I'd had a vote, uh, Chad Kelly would have got my vote as most outstanding player in the Grey Cup last year, just based on what he did with the limited time in the game. So he does have an impact. I'm not questioning that. Maybe it's the how versus the what. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I still, two weeks, I guess, I still think a couple weeks later that that it's, it is the best way to describe Chad is that he's the quarterback of the uh, maybe the best team in the Canadian Football League. Because, I mean, looking at his numbers, you go, okay, 69% completion is really, that's, that's good. Uh, ten and a half yards per pass attempt is ridiculously good. He and Kolaris are kind of passing that back and forth of who's going to lead in yards per attempt. Uh this this number sticks out to me that Chad Kelly's been sacked only nine times this season. That seems ridiculous uh, that you could get through. Uh, he missed much of one game. Uh, you could get through, tw- what is it, 13 games or 12 games and only be sacked nine times is kooky talk. Uh, that's fewer than Mason Fine, who hasn't been the full-time starter in SAS this year. I think Chad's been good. Like he th- he threw one deep post route last week against Hamilton on the run. You go, okay, that's perfectly. Uh, you know, your your feet aren't set. You're in stride, and you hit the receiver perfectly. Let him roll for the touchdown. Dejon Brissett scored. And I'm like, okay, well, this this is this is really good. He he has all these tools, and people will will say, well, he's got eight rushing touchdowns as well. Uh, so that equals the number of t- touchdowns Kalaris has produced. I don't care about quarterback sneak touchdowns because then we'd have to get into the is Caleb Evans the MOP of the league conversation, <laughs> and we're never going there. Uh, but uh, I mean, for everything that that Toronto offense has, like Chad, I mean, certainly enhances it and makes it and makes it work better. Is is could Toronto better survive losing Chad Kelly than the Bombers could better could survive losing Zach Kalaris? Uh, I think the Bombers would be damaged more. That that makes me still lean to Kolaris as the most outstanding player in the league. And I can beat you over the head with some other stuff as to why I think so too. But um, yeah, I, it just, it seems like there's a real sentiment to every time Zach has a game like the one against Hamilton, well, he's throwing interceptions more than he did last year. Yeah, Chad Kelly's got 11 picks too, which is just two fewer than Zach. So what are we really complaining about here? It's... Zach makes magical plays. Chad Kelly has had less time to make magical plays uh, in his career, but he's, I don't know, like what what magnitude versus what you thought Chad Kelly would be, how much better, or fe- thought he might be, how much better is Chad Kelly? Like twice as good, five times as good? Yeah, that's a good because point. I had a bet. I had I had a I had a bet. I took a flyer at seven to one that Kelly would be awful and the Argos would win four to six games this season, and mm, that oops. bet was blow. That well, I thought it's it's at least worth the risk, right? Because we've seen a million guys come into this league with hype, and oh, he's the next big thing, and they all, almost all of them strike out. Virtually all of them strike out. Kelly has been the Kelly has been a stud, and absolutely deserves that highest paid player in the league. 
contract if you're trying to forecast the next few years. So I don't regret making that wager. And for the for the good of the CFL, I'm happy to see that it, that it was wrong and that Chad Kelly is really. I I don't I don't know that I want to say great yet because I want more. But uh, GMAC, you said it they, to me. They don't win the Grey Cup last year if if McLeod Bethel Thompson continued in that game. So I I, I kind of would have been with you on the backdoor. Chad Kelly's the MVP of the Grey Cup ballot. I always look for the sneaky fun stuff anyway, and I like to look for guys that are sneaky good and to recognize individuals and, and players that, that have an impact that others ignore. And I know sometimes that's impossible to do, but, uh, and yeah, I, I will go down uh, to my last breath. Not that I, you know, want to argue about the 2022 gray cup with too many people about how it went down. But, uh, yeah, that, that I, I think, he would have been the the more correct choice, but anyway, Friday night IG Field. Uh, anything you want to give away right now in terms of what you'll be bringing us on on Friday night, Christian? In terms of your, your thoughts and the setup of this game? Uh, well, I think my main thought going into the game, and this isn't giving anything away. I've said this before, has just been how good the Bombers have been coming off buys and coming off losses. Right? They've been almost unbeatable coming out of losses the last few years in the Zach Kolaris era, if you will, they just, they don't lose back-to-back games. They just don't, right? They had the two at the end of 21 where they lost that they didn't care about and that's it. And it's been super impressive. And after bye weeks, I think Justin Dunk had the stat after their last win after a bye week, which was the BC blowout. I think he's seven and zero since 2018 with 15 touchdowns and two interceptions and 2000 passing yards. So He's been incredible. You know he's going to want to bounce back. You know this team wants to bounce back. They never talk about revenge, but they, they definitely know what happened in the Grey Cup last year. And uh, they were very coy about revenge in the Banjo Bowl. And what did they do? They absolutely mutilated the Rough Riders. Now, Saskatchewan is nowhere near as good as Toronto is, but I think there is an aspect of trying to get them back for what happened in November. So I... I really struggle to see Toronto winning this game, honestly, just because I think the Bombers are going to be so, so motivated to come out and make amends for what happened last year and what happened in Hamilton two weeks ago. They're going to get the win, and I'd be surprised to see them lose, but they have to take care of the football because Toronto, as we mentioned, if if they turn the ball over against this team, they're going to make you pay, and that's one way that they can lose this game. But if they're careful with the football, I, I I can't really see them losing. DT on uh, the the banjo bowl, the return matchup, the uh, what do you call it now? The uh, the primary matchup, the main event of the back to back. Yes, the Labor Day game is the banjo bowl warm up game now officially as <laughs> as per Doug Brown of this year, and I I think we're driving that one home. So the banjo bowl is the big one. Okay, so I commented uh, obviously Saturday game. There was uh, all sorts of reasons and ability for people to get to the University of Manitoba campus early on a Saturday versus a Friday night. But in-stadium atmosphere on Banjo Bowl was second to none. It was absolutely tremendous. Any reason to expect we won't see something similar on Friday night? Oh, I I absolutely think we will. I think as much as, you know, Argo fans aren't, there aren't a ton of them roaming around and this game was in Toronto, the atmosphere might be more subdued. Like every Bomber fan in Winnipeg knows what a big deal this game is. Every Bomber fan can read the standings and go, oh, 12 and one. Interesting. 
clinched your first overall in the East. Interesting. You're coming to our house. Very interesting. I can have a thirty-five pound, thirty-five dollar sausage on a burger covered with bacon or whatever the in Doritos, whatever the the meal is. Uh, for this one, very interesting. I I think I think it's going to be nuts, and I'm so glad for it. Third sellout for the Bombers this year. Uh, this is what happens when you are, you know, this good for for this long. Is is people respond so. Yeah, I'm. It, it's. I think it's just going to be bonkers because yeah, everybody who listens to our pregame show, everybody who's listening to the sports show with Christian, uh, everybody knows that uh, we've been saying it for. I've been saying it for weeks. Like I can't focus on what's right in front of me because I can't wait for September 29th against the uh, the Argos, and now it's here, and everybody I think gets it. Well, Andrew Harris, be here. He's on the six game injured list, so he's not going to play. Is there is there a point to bring him? I I kind of hope so because it's gonna be the last chance. I I don't know I don't know if they if they're thinking I don't know if Toronto's thinking about it, but but I hope so because I mean that guy's going in the Ring of Honor one day and and he deserves whatever whatever fans believe about the breakup between player and team. That guy deserves a, a massive standing ovation from the crowd in Winnipeg. Andrew Harris going in the Ring of Honor, Christian. Yeah, I think so. I think you look at the Ring of Honor, and and a lot of the time it's guys that were here a long time. It's not like he was here, you know, for his whole career, but the impact he had. He was one of the first guys that was like a big time guy that came back and really jump started this rebirth of the team. Right, a serious, serious running back from here, grew up here. Right, I think the local part of it cannot be overstated. And to to help break the drought, he was the best player on this team for a number of years and kind of was the heart and soul of this team as well. So I don't think there's any doubt that 33 belongs up there at some point in the future, for sure. Give the ball more to Brady Oliveira. Let Zach Kolaris do what he does best. Unleash that Blue Bomber defensive line. I cannot wait until Friday night. Uh, Christian, thank you for this. Appreciate you jumping on. My pleasure. I've got a cat and a dog uh, on me right now, so everything is good. Life is good. And uh, how about you, uh, Taylor? What's the animal count uh, in your proximity as we sign off? Uh, Penny just came. She's great for punching me in the stomach and or groin region because she's still a pup. So she came by to check in just at the end as I got very excited talking about what the crowd will be like on Friday. All right, guys. Thanks for this. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers Thank you for spending some time with us.